My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Hello everyone, I'm Timothy Lawson, your host for This Week at VA. It is the middle of the week, and I know we typically don't put out podcasts until Friday, but this is a special edition or a in-between episode, as my fellow podcaster Tim Ferriss would call it. This morning, Secretary Bob McDonald and Deputy Secretary Sloan Gibson addressed the My VA Advisory Committee at Georgetown University to give an update on VA and to explain the state of VA and where the organization is, the challenges that it still holds, the successes that it had, and how the transitioning administration can follow in these footsteps, make their own adjustments, and where to keep in stride. Mind you, Secretary McDonald and Deputy Secretary Gibson are occasionally reference the slides that the audience can see. Uh, So I've tightened up the audio a little bit to make it a little easier to listen to, but some of the visual cues are still there that you as the audience obviously won't be able to see, but I think the messaging uh, is still there, and it's important for everybody that has any stake in VA, whether you're a veteran receiving care, whether you're a family member or a friend that assisting a veteran uh, that could receive care if you're an employee, if you're a prospective doctor, nurse, etc. Maybe you're a part of our strategic partnerships, the veteran service organization. Anybody that has even a smallest stake or potential to be involved in the VA, I think is important for everybody to be aware of where we're at, where we're headed, and what we can learn from from the successes and the failures of the past. And both Secretary McDonald and Deputy Secretary Gibson address a number of those. There will be a regularly scheduled podcast on Friday. Until then, here's the State of VA. Sloan and I, we're going to spend some time talking about uh, what we see as the state of the VA, but I want to spend a couple of minutes uh, maybe on this first slide. Uh, Everything you're going to see here was done very deliberately, and this first slide is very deliberate. Notice that the big words are putting veterans first. Uh, This plan, this My VA Transformation Plan, the, the My VA Uh, transformation plan of putting veterans first is not our plan. It's not even a VA-only plan. It's a plan that comes from all the feedback we've gotten from veteran service organizations like the American Legion, the VFW, and others, from the veterans themselves, from stakeholders, members of Congress, and others. We have no pride of ownership of this plan. If you have a better idea, Please let us know what that idea is, and we will incorporate it into this plan. Because there's only one single thing that we want, and that's why it's in the biggest letters, putting veterans first. We want great outcomes for veterans. Nothing else matters. Not ideology, not anything else. Putting veterans first is what we're about. Um, Secondly, you'll notice we put 
a montage of photographs that spell out our values, I care, or the acronym of our values. Uh, that was also purposeful. Uh, the results that we're going to cover are not our results. They're the results of the 370,000 employees of the VA. This is a montage that we put together from our last leadership team meeting. We had about our top 600 or so leaders uh, together in September. And we thought it was an appropriate way to capture the men and women who are working hard every single day putting veterans first. The third thing I'd like to say, um, since I don't know if I'll have an opportunity to address this group again, is one of the greatest joys of my life in having this role is being able to work with my brother, Sloan Gibson. Uh, I've often said, and I think people in this room, some of you have heard me say, there's nothing more fun than doing something you love with somebody you love. And it's been my thrill to work with Sloan, and that's the reason both of our names are on this slide. So this slide was put together very purposely. Uh, we're going to cover the state of the VA. And again, if you have a better idea to improve this plan, let us know. And thank you to all the members of the VA who have worked hard to transform the way we work, put the veterans at the center of everything we do, and improve our results. I always like to start uh, every presentation with mission, values, and vision. But before I do that, I'd like to give Sloan uh, a comment uh, an opportunity to comment. Sure. Um, uh, well, uh, f first of all, I think as you look at that montage of employees, uh, I can remember from my very earliest days, uh, oftentimes I would get a question from media back in the summer of 2014, what makes you think this can work? And the answer I always gave was uh, because of the 300 plus thousand people that we have who care about the mission, uh, who uh, do the right thing day in and day out, and who work hard to care for and serve veterans. Uh, were it not for that, I don't think either one of us would have had a clue where to start. Uh, how do you go about transforming an organization if you, have a, if you have a group of people that don't really care? And so that's the bedrock of everything that we are doing and have done here, is the fact that we've got this motive force behind us, uh, Three hundreds of thousands of frontline staff out there that care about the veterans they serve. They want to do the right thing, and they work really hard day in and day out. And we've had such an opportunity to see that as we've traveled. Uh, I, I've been to 380 or so different locations, and I, I'll never forget these stories, the story of Victor Vasquez. Uh, I see Ron sitting in the audience. Uh, Victor working at the Fort Bliss uh, National Cemetery. Uh, there was a, a, a veteran who was disturbed that the sun was shining brightly uh, on his wife's grave. And he mentioned that uh, in the presence of Victor Vasquez, one of the VA employees. The next time Vic, uh, that veteran came back to the cemetery, there was a tree shading the site of his wife's grave. Yeah. Um, another story is Kathy DeNoble. Kathy DeNoble uh, works here in D.C. in the home-based primary care uh, part of our medical center. Uh, Kathy is concerned about one of her veterans who has post-traumatic stress. Because of his post-traumatic stress, he doesn't get out of the house very much. As a result, Kathy brings him a turkey on Thanksgiving, and she brings him Christmas dinner 
as well. Chuck Malden, uh, you, you've met Chuck Malden, yeah, I, I think. Uh, Chuck, Chuck is uh, uh, an emergency room nurse in Salisbury, North Carolina. Uh, Chuck one day, not long ago, was uh, doing some first aid on the feet of a homeless veteran. He looks up at the veteran, he says, what size shoes, and his feet were covered with blisters, he says, what size shoes do you wear? And the veteran told him, he says, well, that's the same size I wear. Here, take my shoes. Uh, you, you know, there's uh, another story from, uh, from uh, NCA, uh, James Barger, the cemetery tech at Mountain Home National Cemetery. Uh, family member shows up to visit the grave of their World War II grandfather. It's raining that day. So rather than the visitor getting their feet wet, uh, James takes his boots off, gives them to the visitor so that they can go out to the grave. Uh, Patrice Green and, and Marissa Jones, they're social workers at the, uh, at the, the, uh, the Health Care for Homeless Veterans facility in Atlanta. Not, not only did they work with the veteran to find housing, uh, they learned that this veteran had been estranged from his family for 22 years, had completely lost track of them, and they worked, found the family, and got the family back together with the veteran. Uh, these are stories, there are tens of thousands of them, uh, and we're, we're creating thousands more every single day. Well, a similar story is uh, Nurse Grace in Atlanta, where uh, she noticed a sub subtle change in uh, the veteran she was dealing with and, and discovered that he was longing for his son. He had not seen his son for 18 years. And Nurse Grace took it upon herself to not only care for that veteran, but to do some research and find his son. Well, not only did she find his son, but she found grandchildren. And this has, of course, changed this veteran's life. We hear these stories Every single, day. every single day. And it's, it's VA people going above and beyond um, because of their purposeful nature to put veterans first. The, you know, this is who we are. This is who we are. Uh, not what you often see portrayed in different uh, forms. Um, this doesn't, what we're talking about here doesn't fit with the narrative today. And so therefore, Nobody wants to hear this, but in fact, it is real. It's happening every day, and good people, caring people, many of them veterans themselves, are out there uh, creating these new stories every single day, making a difference for the veterans. So this morning, we would like to share with you um, our, our results over the past couple of years. We want to thank employees. We want to thank our partners. We want to thank the veterans organizations that have been helping us. We want to showcase the great work of VA employees. We want to talk about the irrefutable progress that we've made. And also, we want to suggest that we're on our way to achieving what we think is the right vision, which is becoming the best customer service organization um, in the federal government. But there's, but there's one thing I want to add here, and I heard Mike uh, allude to it earlier in his comments. You, you don't see a, a, a mission accomplished banner hanging up here. We have a lot more work to do. There is irrefutable progress that's been made, uh, and, and we're going to talk about that and highlight a lot of that and acknowledge the great work that's been done, but we still have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. We're going to start, as we normally do, with mission, values, and vision. Uh, every 
discussion we have at the VA, we always start with that because if you turn back the clock to 2014, the crisis that we endured was largely because we lost sight of our mission, values, and visions, so we always start there. The mission, of course, comes from the Civil War, uh, largely. Uh, it was in, it was, you know, during the American Civil War, roughly 750,000 Americans lost their lives. That's 514 deaths a day, every single day, for four consecutive years. In those days, there were no dog tags. Unlike uh, Sloan and I, when we served, we had dog tags around our neck. We oftentimes would have dog tags laced in our boots. There were no dog tags. So the dead were buried in mass graves on the battlefield. And it was in 1862 that President Lincoln, recognizing this tremendous carnage that no one expected, worked with the Congress to create national cemeteries around the country and to create the forerunner of the VA to exhume the bodies, try to identify them and rebury them in these national graves near their home. It was my honor recently, a few, uh, maybe a year ago, to go to Harvard Law School to recruit uh, lawyers for the VA. And one of the things they showed me was the tag that Oliver Wendell Holmes had clipped onto his blouse as he went into battle in the Civil War. And it basically said, if I am injured, please ship my body back to this address. Uh, that was the forerunner of the VA. We were able to identify about two-thirds of the bodies. Um, and then it was in President Lincoln's second inaugural address that he gave us the words that inspire us all today. We have to care for those who have borne the battle, their families, their survivors. And uh, that's the most noble mission, we think, uh, in government, maybe in the world, and that's what animates us every single day. The values, uh, they were values that were de uh, developed by the organization over a, a long period of time. Integrity, commitment, advocacy, respect, and excellence. Those values guide our behavior. We reaffirm those values every single year. Every employee trains on those values every single year. Our leaders train on those values, and our leaders are trained to train their subordinates on those values. If we ever have a question as to how to perform, we go back to those values, because what we want is a values-based organization, not a rules-based organization. Any good customer service organization needs to be values-based, where the behavior of the individual is decided based on values every day, not waiting to look for rules. And uh, Sloan loves to juxtapose a couple of stories to bring that point home. I think now might be an appropriate time yeah, to do well, that, Sloan. I, you know, many, many of you and a lot of employees out there uh, recall the, the story of the veteran who broke his foot, uh, drives four hours through the middle of the night to get to the emergency room at his VA medical center because that's where he wants to get his care. Uh, he parks as close as he can. It's still in the wee hours, and so obviously he can park pretty much where he needs to, where he wants to, but he still can't get himself from his car to the emergency room. And so he calls and gets the switchboard uh, at the medical center, and he's told, uh, we can't help you, call 911. And the, the, the person that, that gave that instruction believed that they were doing the right thing because there are lots of rules about how you respond to emergencies in different parts of the, of the campus. 
But the fundamental issue there was, was what was the principle, the underlying principle? And as I've told this story, I like to think of, uh, you know, what if it was your mother or your father who was in distress in the parking lot? What would you want somebody to do? Well, you go help. Well, you know, you, you contrast that with uh, the, the wonderful story uh, up, in, up in Vermont of the nurse whose patient comes in, whose patient fails to come in for their regular appointment. And she thinks, you know, that's not normal. And uh, rather than just sort of taking advantage of the, of the free time and going to get another cup of coffee, she calls the VA police. Well, you know, it's really not, uh, doesn't conform with policy to, to go do a welfare check, but, but the policeman knows that she's worried, so he calls the local police. They go out and they knock on the door. There's no answer. You know, they call a neighbor. They call a family member. The family member goes out there, knocks on the door, no answer. The police go in, and they find the veteran uh, collapsed, unconscious on the floor. Uh, the veteran's alive today because VA employees operated based on the principle. If there's a veteran that needs help, that needs care, we're going to figure out a way to deliver that care and get that help to them. And Sloan and I would like every VA employee to know that, that being values-driven, being values-inspired, means that we as the leaders of the organization have your back. Uh, if, you, if we were, if based on Sharon's uh, comment, if we had broken into that home in, in Vermont and the veteran were sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, we would still celebrate that you took the initiative to break down that door because we were worried about the safety of the veteran. You, you know, D Denise, who's sitting over here, asked a question yesterday. We met with a lot of the MyVA uh, staff that had been working to, to really uh, uh, help create this, this well-oiled machine that we've, that we've built here around MyVA. And she asked about highlights, about high points, uh, uh, really positive moments that we had had. And, and the first one that came into my mind, I recall it was after the first Leaders Developing Leaders session, and we're going to talk about LDL in a few minutes. Uh, afterward, a medical center director came up to me and he said, you know, I finally feel like I'm ready to go out and take some risk because I know that if what I do is aligned with our values, it's the right thing for veterans and the right thing for taxpayers, it's going to be okay. I still, I still revel in that moment. I mean, what a, what a powerful observation to come. And that's one of those, as I talk about the light bulb moment, when you're able to see that light bulb go off and it's, yes, there's a high point for you. There's, there, that tells you that, that as an organization we're changing. Well, this mission and values will endure forever. Uh, they, they, you know, their mission and values are meant to do that. And the vision is meant to be uh, a goal that you set uh, in and we'll be standing there until you accomplish it. And of course, our goal is to be the number one customer service agency in the federal government. We've made progress, but obviously we're not where we need to be. Beyond that, we, as you know, we broke down five uh, strategies for the MyVA transformation. They're, they're very, very simple, very straightforward. Number one, improving the veterans experience. We've trained the organization in human-centered design. We've journey mapped the 
veteran journey from the time the service member raises their hand and is sworn in until we may have the honor of burying you in one of our national cemeteries. We've looked at each experience along that journey line. We've redesigned those experiences. We're now measuring the satisfaction of a veteran with each experience. And uh, we're going to be getting even better at that as we work with a company called uh, Medallia, which we started working with recently. Secondly, we have to improve the employee experience. Uh, I've said many times that you can't improve the veteran experience unless you improve the employee experience because it's the employees who care for the veteran every single day and it's the employees who put the veteran first. So we spend a lot of time on training. Sloan has already mentioned leaders developing leaders. Uh, a lot of time on uh, doing, teaching Lean Six Sigma, teaching human-centered design, uh, getting our employees to go to conferences where they can learn or where they may speak and interact with uh, uh, people in the private sector and in other sectors. Third, we have to improve our internal support services. Uh, that scheduling system in, in Phoenix that got us into trouble dated to 1985. Uh, our financial management system is written in COBOL. And I've said many times I think I could make more money if I quit my job as secretary and became a COBOL programmer. Uh, since there's so few of us alive anymore who know how to do it. Uh, I programmed COBOL in 1971 for our Honeywell mainframe computer at West Point. Uh, number four, we need to I establish... Couldn't, I couldn't even make the punch cards work at West Point, you know, back then. And he's programming in COBOL. Well, we dropped the punch cards on the way to the computer center, right? <laughs> we did that a few times. <laughs> We have to establish a culture of continuous improvement. Lean Six Sigma has been a, uh, a tremendous technology to help us do that and has become part of our culture in so many of our sites. We still have more to do. And last but not least is enhancing strategic partnerships. Um, this has really been a big one for us. Many of you in the room right now are strategic partners. Uh, we know we can't do this job by ourselves. We're pleased to have partners like you to help us do it. Our partners are force multipliers, and we realize that. And our partners help us fulfill what I think is an ethical responsibility that we can't fulfill. By law, we are not allowed to serve certain veterans who've gotten certain classes of discharges. And until that law changes, we need strategic partners who we can then refer these veterans with bad paper to uh, until those discharges may be um, restated. Uh, I'm leaving Sunday to go to Omaha to celebrate uh, a new strategic partnership. We have a group of investors in Omaha who want to help us build a new hospital. Uh, they want to give us a gift. We weren't able to accept that gift. We had to get Congress to pass a law to allow us to accept that gift. But Sona and I believe public-private partnerships is a wave of the future Yes. And we've got to get this going. So we're going Sunday to meet with them. And on Monday, we'll celebrate that law Congress passed. We'll solidify our relationship. And we'll start replacing our hospital in Omaha, which is more than 50 years old, uh, with a brand new hospital donated in part from the community. You know, one of the, the, the sort of the unifying concepts that sits behind a lot of this work that you see on the screen uh, is the work to build and integrate, to operate like an integrated enterprise. Now, those words sound fancy. Why would you want to do that? And, it, and it's really to leverage the great strategic advantage that we have. It's our scope and our scale. 
Stop, stop and think about VA as an organization. 168 hospitals, more than 1,000 outpatient clinics, uh, the research operation that we have, uh, 1,800 academic affiliates. Uh, think about what our scale does for us in terms of our ability to invest in deep specialties. I remember, I remember Rich and I, when we were in Tampa touring through the Polytrauma Center, and Rich comes up to me excitedly as we're moving from one area to another and grabs my arm and he says, do you realize they're doing stuff here that nobody's doing anywhere in the world? This is incredible. And that's part of what our scale does for us. It gives us the ability to invest in those deep specialties. Spinal cord injury is another of those. TBI and post-traumatic stress, a lot of those things. Then you start thinking about scope. You think about not only our inpatient operation, our outpatient operation, the residential treatment programs, uh, mental health care, uh, geriatric and extended care, our, our palliative care and hospice. Uh, you start getting into physical therapy, pharmacy. Uh, the fact that we've got an integrated electronic health record that we've, that we've built over the, over the, the last 20 or uh, 25 years. Then you start thinking about the non-clinical determinants of health. Uh, things like disability compensation, pension payments, fiduciary services, where we take care of veterans that aren't uh, able to take care of their own affairs. Uh, caregiver stipends, so that we can have a caregiver that's there with the veteran. Step back and think about all of that. What organization in the world brings that scope and that scale to bear to care for and serve their customers? There is none not even remotely close. And so the opportunity for us is looking for, and we're, we're building that and we're exercising that with these, a lot of these breakthrough initiatives and some that we'll see in a couple of minutes in 2017, where we, where we learn to operate instead of a group of silos, we learn to operate more like an integrated enterprise. The my VA work in and of itself was an exercise in us operating more like an integrated enterprise. When Bob and I would lead breakthrough initiative meetings every two weeks on each and every one of those dozen uh, breakthrough initiatives, we didn't just have, if it, was a, a, if it was an access to healthcare, for example, we just didn't have VHA leaders sitting in the room. We had IT in the room. We had facilities in the room. We had contracting in the room. We had HRNA in the room because it's an enterprise initiative. We kept the lines of communication short, we made decisions, and we moved out to execute. And I'm confident without this kind of a model and with that, that kind of enterprise approach to execution, there's no way we would have accomplished the many things that you're gonna see here in the next several slides. Well, I think that integration of the enterprise also has an effect for the veteran which is integrated care. Yes. And, and yes. that's one of the yes. reasons that veterans are scared when you talk about privatization, where, where you're put in the private sector, you're forced to navigate your own care, whereas at the VA, the VA takes responsibility for that integrated care. And of course, one of our challenges is as we're doing more and more care in the community, is integrating that care as well. How do we ensure continuity? But how else can you, can, you, can you get that integrated care and so many of our veterans have so many uh, illnesses, uh, so many comorbidities, as they're called, that that integrated care becomes essential to providing care to put the veteran first. Absolutely. I would also say that one of the things that's unique to VA is given we are the largest integrated healthcare system in the country, 
is the role we've played in innovating for medicine, which has an impact not just for veterans, but also for the medical profession and for the American people. If you think about the fact that VA invented the nicotine patch or VA had the first electronic health record. It was a VA nurse that came up with the idea of a barcode connecting patients with medicine, with medical records. VA did the first liver transplant. Uh, VA was involved in research that, that, that uh, ended up discovering that if you take an aspirin a day, you ward off heart disease. Three Nobel Prizes, seven Lasker Awards. And that integrated care today is leading to the same kinds of innovations. For example, someone with post-traumatic stress, who typically the private sector, the medical school uh, approach is to give them an opioid. Uh, well, we're seeing great success with getting people off of opioids by using things like equine therapy, yoga, acupuncture, we're the largest user of acupuncture, and it's this, this treatment of not just the body, but the mind, the spirit, that's all connected together, integrated in a way to, again, just put the veteran first. That's the goal. Put the veteran first, do whatever works, and then while you're doing it, and while you're inventing, capture the data from it so it can become an evidence-based approach for American medicine. That's really what's unique about and, VA. And what you're describing is how we leverage scope and scale to right. benefit veterans. That's really, right. that's the essence of it. That's, that is. And, and uh, that's how veterans can benefit. That's how we can deliver healthcare outcomes uh, that I believe no other organization in the world is. So who in the private sector is gonna do research for spinal cord injured people to get them up walking using the rewalk or the exoskeleton that Bill Bauman and Ann Spungen won the uh, Sammy. the Sammy Awards yes. for. Who would do that? What would be the rate of there's, return? There's, there's not the profit motive. In the no, there's no margin. So anyway, we took those five strategies and we turned them into 12 breakthrough initiatives knowing that come January with the change in the administration, we could turn into pumpkins. We wanted to make sure that we uh, put a stake in the ground and said, what do we want to accomplish by December 31st? As you can see from the slide, uh, eight of the breakthrough priorities were veteran-facing, meaning real outcomes for veterans, putting veterans first. Four were enablers. We had to get them done internally in order to be able to achieve the eight. And um, these 12... Uh, we have worked hard on. As Sloan has said, we've met every two weeks uh, with the teams that have been working on these in order to make sure that we ensure um, progress. Um, these were all designed to um, get at the biggest difficulties we had uh, in the operation where capabilities were missing. I'll use one as an example. That's the compensation and pension exam, which is number six. As we looked at veterans' experience with the VA, as we looked at that journey line, the first time a veteran would typically interface with the VA was through this compensation and pension exam, which was an anxiety-ridden exercise, uh, because it was through that exam that the veteran would get their disability rating. So a great team of VBA and VHA employees uh, roadmapped it, uh, journey lined it, figured out where the, the 
terrible points were, and then we set out to improve the, um, the veteran satisfaction uh, from that exam, and we'll report on that in a minute. But that's, that's how we figured out, that's how we decided what the 12 priorities would be, is by finding the difficult pain points for veterans and trying to improve the veteran experience. And you know, you look at the internal facing items, uh, supply chain's a great example, uh, where we saw a significant gap in terms of our ability to deliver value for, for taxpayers. Uh, here we are running the largest healthcare organization in America. We've got a world-class pharmacy supply chain, but in the area of medical and surgical supplies and durable medical equipment, we didn't have that kind of integrated approach. And, and so the idea was bringing together VHA and our logisticians and IT and HR uh, is to tackle that challenge, tackle that, create that, and, and create value in terms of delivering to our internal customer, our providers, our clinicians, the equipment and the supplies that they need to care for veterans, and doing that at the very best value that we could possibly can for taxpayers. And of course, many of these also came from those visits that we had with yes. veteran service organizations, with yep. uh, people out um, in the locations around the country. I remember one in particular, it was my very first um, IAVA uh, celebration, and, and I did a focus group with some recent Iraq and Afghani uh, veterans, and the one veteran uh, said to me, you know, I travel, and uh, I can get my medication from my home site, but when I go to the new VA site, I have to re-register, and I can't get my medication. And so that was one of the things that we decided to take on uh, and try to solve, is the ability to get your medication uh, no matter where you go. So it was all of you who informed these 12 priorities. Again, this is your plan, uh, not our plan. There's no pride of ownership here. We will change anything uh, to get it done. Uh, the results we're going to talk about are the results of the employees that we showed earlier um, in the montage. Veterans are feeling a difference. They're seeing irrefutable progress, and they're reporting that, and we're seeing that. Uh, one of the things we started doing is measuring veteran trust. If you put veterans first, obviously veterans' trust of the VA uh, should increase. We've gone from 47% to 60%. Frankly, that's not high enough. I'd like to be above 85% to 90%, uh, but it's a start. We're moving in the right direction. Satisfaction with our care is up from 54% to 68%. The effectiveness is up. One of the things I'm most proud of is that the ease is up by 20 points. Why is that up? Well, it's, it's up for many reasons. Number one, if you measure versus 2010, there are two million fewer veterans in the United States today versus 2010, yet there are 1.4 million more veterans signed up for VA healthcare today. So that's one of the reasons that eases up. And also we're gonna talk about same day access to uh, primary it, it, care and, it, and mental it, health care. Exactly, you can't imagine us launching into a series of breakthrough initiatives without access to healthcare becoming, uh, being really front and center there. So part of it led by David and the, and the great team uh, in VHA, uh, appropriately focused on, on care that's needed right away and ensuring that whether it's a consult or a pending appointment, whether it's inside VA or outside VA, that what we're doing is working to deliver that care when it's needed. The result, what we've been able to do is get 
every VA medical center across the country to the point where they've certified their ability for veterans that need care right away. They need access to primary care services or access to mental health services and they need that care right away. We're going to provide that care on a same-day basis, every single medical center across the entire country. Bob talked about the veteran who couldn't get his prescription filled when he was traveling. So being able to deliver seamless access to care when a veteran is away from their home VA medical facility is a, is a really big deal. Uh, and, and you step back and you look at some of this. We're, we're delivering a million same-day appointments, same-day uh, not just encounters, but face-to-face -face, uh, uh, clinical encounters uh, every single month, a million a month. That's a profound volume of same-day access to, uh, to care. Uh, I tell you another part of this that's really important, and, and, it's, and it's another way that we provide access, is how we, how we are able to, to provide access by telephone, uh, and by secure email exchanges. 900,000 secure email exchanges with a clinician every single month. Every one of those is a, is a clinical encounter. Telephone, we use telephone like I don't think any healthcare organization in America does. Um, telehealth, telemental health, hundreds of thousands of encounters for veterans all across the country. Rich likes to say we're on our way to being the most, not just the largest healthcare system in America, but the most accessible healthcare system in America. Well, you think about those incremental appointments versus year ago, the, the 1.2 million in 2016 versus 2015, 3.2 million versus 2014. Most of them, 97% would be in 30 days. How do we do that? Well, we added about 4 million square feet of new space. In fact, we still have about two dozen leases that have already been appropriated by Congress but have not yet been authorized by Congress. We'd love to get those two dozen more leases so we can increase access even more. We've hired more doctors, we've hired more nurses, we've expanded clinic hours. We have now clinic hours on the evenings, on the weekends, all with this idea of improving access. Uh, we've also been working hard on homelessness. Uh, when we became secretary, we discovered we had a lawsuit that had been going on for five years in Los Angeles that had been paralyzing our efforts. And uh, when I did a Pareto, it was very clear to me Los Angeles is the epicenter of homelessness in the United States. We ended the lawsuit. We put in resources. Last year, in 2015, we cut homelessness in Los Angeles of veterans by 32%, while that same year, homelessness of the general population went up 6.5%. We bent the curve, 39 index points. And as a result, nationally, homelessness went down 17%, four times the rate of the previous year decline. Well, we're not stopping. In fact, we've put on a 30-day surge. Uh, our next point in time count is at the end of January. We're doing something called Operation Reveille. I was in Los Angeles last week. Mayor Garcetti and I both committed ourselves to ending veteran homelessness in Los Angeles and nationally. There are now fewer than 40,000 homeless veterans in the country. While that sounds like a big number, and it is, one is too many, uh, that's down by half versus 2010. And we're hoping by the end of January to substantially make another dent in that. We literally have the names of the homeless veterans uh, who are left. So we're going to be working hard on that between now and January and then beyond January. 
You know, another way that we've been able to improve access to service and to information is through our initiatives in our contact centers, in vets.gov, and myva311. Uh, VA can be a, a, a very uh, uh, difficult organization, kind of a black box to veterans. We're a very complicated organization, oftentimes difficult to know where to go. It's especially difficult when you've got hundreds of different websites and web pages and hundreds of different 1-800 numbers. So what we've done is created a single virtual front door and a single telephone front door for veterans. Uh, go to vets.gov and basically you're going to be able to find the information that you need as we're adding more and more functionality uh, to vets.gov. It becomes the virtual front door for, uh, for veterans, for service. The same thing with MyVA311. Uh, this is the single phone number. It doesn't mean you can't call your medical center if that's where you've been calling in the past. Versus the hundreds we used to have. Uh, that's exactly right. But, but you've, now if you're not sure where to call, you call MyVA311. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're going to be able to get the help you need no matter what it happens to be. So maybe talk about the enrollment through vets.gov. You know, one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the big opportunities that we had was in healthcare enrollment. Uh, it's historically been a paper-based system, very uh, uh, diffused across the entire enterprise. Sometimes it would take hundreds of days for a veteran to be able to, to get completely through the process of enrolling for healthcare. And a lot of veterans enroll for healthcare every year, about 400,000 enroll for healthcare every year. So what we did, we're back to putting the veteran first, using human-centered design, we started out, we used some of our digital, teams, uh, digital services team to go out and talk with veterans, understand the healthcare enrollment process from their perspective. We created a, an entirely new digital, all digital experience we revised the regulations so that a veteran didn't actually have to sign a piece of paper and mail it in, and we stood up a new, highly functional, very efficient, streamlined application for healthcare that a veteran can complete in about 25 minutes online at vets.gov. For veterans that don't want to do it online, there's a phone number, and you call the phone number and someone will sit with the veteran on the telephone and walk them through the healthcare application process again it takes about 25 minutes. The goal is to be able to provide an answer in an hour. Not quite there yet, but we're sneaking up on it. Let's move on then to employees making a difference. Uh, we think we've made uh, progress in becoming a, a principle-based versus rules-based culture, and we, we've talked about that earlier. We're going to continue that journey. We're going to continue the training on values, and we're going to continue the importance of of committing ourselves to those values uh, every single day. You want to talk about uh, outpatient uh, services, outpatient measures? Sure. Um, you know, uh, one of the most positive and powerful tools that we have uh, across all of EA is, is uh, SAIL. Uh, and, and we use that. It stands for Strategic Analytics for Improvement and Learning. It's really a, a composite of measures, many of which are common to private sector healthcare that serves as a roadmap for how we improve veteran healthcare outcomes. And, and as you look at the progress that's being made there, it shows up in areas where you see studies like a RAND study that come out and say that 96% of the outpatient measures that we have as an organization actually are as good as or better than the private sector. How many times have you read 
you know, where veterans say, I get great health care at VA and get a great health care experience. And I think a lot of that is because of the hard work of our frontline staff out there all across the organization. It was my honor last week in Los Angeles to visit the Los Angeles National Cemetery and provide them their awards for our National Cemetery Administration for the uh, highest customer satisfaction score for the sixth year in a row from the American Customer Satisfaction Index. Uh, that was a great honor to, to be with those uh, employees who do that hard work every single day. And also our mail order pharmacy uh, was among the, among the best for the eighth consecutive year by J.D. Power, uh, fifth highest IT customer satisfaction across the federal government. These, this is evidence that we can achieve our vision of being the top customer service organization in the federal government because we already are in many of our businesses and we just need to expand that knowledge and yeah. expand that spirit uh, to what we're doing uh, elsewhere. You know, for, for Bob and I, uh, as we think about what our jobs are, uh, we both know what our job titles are, but, but when we think about our jobs, it's to create the conditions for our frontline staff to be successful, to meet or exceed the expectations of veterans every single day. I, I give you another great example that's shown up here, and, and that's the, the, the work in our VBA call centers, our Veterans Benefits Administration call centers. Uh, we get millions of phone calls from veterans every single year at our eight different national call centers all across the country. Uh, we were for a long time uh, operating those call centers significantly understaffed and without having the latest state-of-the-art technology. Uh, what we've done is dramatically, under Tom Murphy's leadership, dramatically increased staffing for those facilities. We've gone from about 60% of the calls being blocked, not even being able to get into the queue, to now that number is just about zero. I think I read that 60% in the newspaper, but I've not read the zero in the newspaper. <laughs> well, I can't understand. Why not? You know, I was, I was, uh, uh, I think it was when I was out in Phoenix, if I remember. We got a, a, a call center in Phoenix. We do. It was out in Phoenix. Uh, and I met with the call center staff, and, and the, some of the, the agents were standing up telling me stories of veterans that had called. And sometimes veterans were so surprised that somebody answered the phone right away that they'd forget why they were calling. <laughs> and, and it'd take a couple of minutes. It, and it's, it's, that, it's that opportunity. We've got employees out there that want to do the right thing. They care deeply about this. They want, they're working hard. But we've got to create the conditions for success. And that's exactly what this was about. And so now we've got people answering the telephone timely virtually 100% of the time. And I got to tell you, they're not going to give up until the number is 100%. Well, and we're building new capability as yes, we, we speak, are. adding that Atlanta call center, yes. adding a call center in, um, in uh, South Dakota. You know, um, you look at the work of the Veterans Crisis Line. Uh, we, have, we are handling today, we have trained VA responders at VA's Veteran Crisis Line answering twice as many calls as they were a year ago twice as many calls. And I'll tell you, this is, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, looking through a certain lens, this is wonderful news. Uh, we're also seeing the dispatches of emergency responders increase dramatically. That's veterans who are in distress. Uh, veterans that we cannot de-escalate, and so therefore we're taking a life-saving, what, what's likely a life-saving step 
to try to save that veteran uh, who is in distress. Those have gone up dramatically, as have referrals to suicide prevention coordinators. The problem is tragic, but the response, we are saving veterans today. We are saving lives. I can't point to a specific number or a specific veteran, but I know because of the work that we've done in the Veterans Crisis Line to completely revamp the operation, completely, from top to bottom, that we are saving veterans' lives. And even though the number of calls has doubled, we think we would like, we, you know, we think there are more calls coming. So, I mean, one of the responsibilities uh, that we do when we travel is to carry these veteran crisis line cards with us uh, because they talk about, the recognize the signs of suicide. This is, again, an example of where VA cannot do it alone. We need the entire public aware of the signs of suicide, not just veteran suicide. Yeah but total population suicide, and then to have a number to call, and of course this number, 1-800-273-8255, uh, is the key number to call. So if you see someone, you know, train yourself, so when you look for these signs, you see someone in danger, uh, please call our crisis line so that we can care for them and uh, potentially save a life. I gotta say, leave it to Bob to have his Veterans Crisis Line card in his pocket. Shamelessly advertised. You know, the, the guy was the same way as a cadet. I swear he was. I, I love you, brother. Let, let, let me take a second and talk. When, when you talk about employees making a difference, you have to you have to, to think about VBA. I remember coming in here two and a half years, two years and eleven months ago, and 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 realizing the magnitude of the transformation that had already taken place there. And now it's moved that much farther down the road. You know, just five years ago, four or five years ago, we were moving 10 million pounds of paper back and forth across the country. We had a process that somebody could have come in here from the 1980s and they wouldn't have missed a beat. You know, they could have just stepped right in and become a, uh, an RVSR because everything was the same as it had been in 1980. And now it's an all digital process. Uh, people, process, technology, all of that has changed. Think about, Think about in an agile development, those of you that are IT inclined understand agile means that you're doing a whole series of changes. Every 90 days, there's new functionality being rolled out. Think about the challenges that presents for employees. The fact that their work changes every 90 days. And they've been doing that for four years. It's amazing what our employees have been able to accomplish there. Well, in that paper that we've saved, has resulted in empty floors yes. in many buildings. In fact, we have, we have 10 million square feet of unused space that costs the American taxpayer $25 million a year, but Congress won't allow us to eliminate the paper. Uh, we are required to hold on to the paper uh, even though we have digital records. I mean, I don't know about you, but at the Procter & Gamble Company, when we have digital records, we eliminated the paper and saved the money. That's exactly right. Uh, I'm sure you did that at the bank. Hey, I want to read, read a letter from Beverly. I, um, you know, I gave out my cell phone number at our first national press conference in September of 2014. I get calls from veterans every single day. I get letters. And many of these letters now have become much more positive uh, then in the past, and we st when we started, we got a lot of complaints. But this is a letter from Beverly that I'd like to just share with all of you because I think it's indicative of the great work of VA employees. Gentlemen, it was addressed to me. Beverly must not know me. Um, gentlemen, 
Uh, words cannot properly express my deep gratitude for your extremely prop attention to my cry for help in deciding my disability claim. Tears flowed freely, and the sense of relief, acceptance, and respect almost overwhelmed me. After reading the entire award package, I learned I can submit a claim to add my daughter, who was born disabled. She's 46, has Down syndrome, she's the light of my life and my solid rock foundation. She is a tremendous help to me every day, and I depend on her as much as she depends on me. I appreciate the VA offering a stipend to help and for recognizing there are disabled veterans with disabled non-veteran family members. Again, thank you, thank you for everything. With my deepest respect, Beverly Odell Atkinson. That's just one example. These, these are the kinds of letters that make these jobs so inspiring and inspire VA employees every single day. I've got one from Jeff, uh, and I'll tell you this is from Oklahoma City, and I'll tell you why I'm telling you Oklahoma City in a second. Um, this is not a complaint, but I wanted to let someone know. Please deliver to the emergency room department of the Oklahoma City VA Hospital. I came in with excruciating pain, and I was rude, and I am sorry. I left with no pain. Thank you. I was at times incoherent, a teary, sobbing mess. Thank you. Thank you for taking your job seriously. I am sorry I could not remember your names. Thank you, admissions, for correcting some errors in my file. Thank you to the first lady I saw for dealing with me and not just shrugging off the comments I made about what I would do if the pain didn't stop. Thank you to the girl who sat with me while I waited for the doctor. You helped me so much by simply talking to me and calming me down. Thank you to the doctor who took my pain seriously and treated me when other doctors just sent me on my way with a prescription. Thank you to the lady who administered the medication and letting me know they would hurt. Thank you to the gentleman that brought me a sandwich and talked to me by simply relating with me on a personal level. That was the first time in days I was able to eat pain-free. Continue to provide others with the care you showed me, and I believe you will all go far. Thank you, Jeff. This is who we are. It's putting veterans first. Yes. VA is transforming. Uh, do you want to talk about the supply chain work that you've done with yeah, Greg? Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned it in, in passing um, before. Uh, so the, the challenge that we found as we started to wade into this was realizing that we didn't really have any of the enabling infrastructure to, to integrate, to operate like an integrated enterprise across VHA when it came to medical surgical supplies and durable medical equipment. So we started building piece by piece. Uh, and this became one of our breakthrough initiatives because we knew it was an opportunity for us to deliver great value to our frontline clinicians as well as to taxpayers, uh, freeing up resources that we could then plow back into healthcare for veterans. And that's exactly what we did with that $227 million number. And by the way, that's only through November. We don't have December's data yet. So I, I'm I think that's going to go up a little bit more. Uh, and, and so the opportunity has been, you know, standardizing nomenclature, building the information management systems, all of these things, uh, creating a career path for our logisticians. 
developing a standard set of position descriptions, classifying those position descriptions, building curricula at our uh, National Acquisition Academy uh, so that we, can, we have programs to be able to train. All of these things are the kinds of things that you think about when you're working to build an integrated enterprise. Common information systems, common standards, common hiring practices, uh, consistent terminology, uh, all of these things, standard training, all of these things are enablers to operating like an integrated enterprise. We are just getting started here. That $200 plus million dollar number uh, in, uh, in 2016 was just a placeholder. Uh, we're going to really start in 2017 and beyond saving real money for the organization. I also think that uh, we should probably talk a little bit about the fact that the quality improvement of, of all of our sites, um, yeah, you know, I, it, was, it was unfortunate that a, um, a newspaper published our internal mechanism for improving the quality of our, of our um, medical centers. And I was fearful that that would say to some veterans, don't go to the medical centers that, that happened to fall toward the bottom of the list. It was a misunderstanding that they were thinking it was like an NFL football standing yeah. rather than a relative system used to improve. Yeah, uh, that, that was the essence behind our, our, our disinclination to release, release that, that information because we realized it was gonna be misconstrued. You have to really be thoughtful about this. I, I alluded earlier to SAIL, Bob's referring to SAIL, Strategic Analytics for Improvement in Learning. I remember sitting down with the chief medical officer of one of the largest healthcare organizations in America when he, after he had had the opportunity to do an in-depth look at sale, he said, I had the, if I had this in my company, I'd implement it tomorrow. It's that good. We took sale results. It's a comprehensive measure of veteran healthcare outcomes, things that drive quality healthcare outcomes and quality healthcare experience. Uh, we built that into the performance uh, uh, evaluations of all of our medical center directors beginning in October of 2014. So all of fiscal year 15, all of fiscal year 16. In fiscal year 15, 62% of our medical centers demonstrated an absolute improvement, meaningful improvement, in the quality of healthcare outcomes as measured in sale. As it says in the, on the slide up here, in the first three quarters of fiscal year 16, 82% improved the quality of healthcare outcomes. Uh, that's the power of transformation. And again, it's, it's, it's a roadmap for improving healthcare outcomes. It's not a stick that we beat anybody over the head with. It's a roadmap, and we have to use it in that kind of form and fashion. And of course, everywhere we travel, the first thing we do is sit down with the leadership team of the medical center and go through their plan to improve their sale results. You know, I was going to mention earlier when I read the Oklahoma City uh, story to you, uh, just about the time that that uh, veteran wrote us that letter. I had been out at the at Oklahoma City for a second visit, uh, and I re, and I recall looking at the sale data, and I don't know if I've ever been to a medical center where every single indicator was going in the right direction. It's so complicated. There's so many things going on, and it's a relative ranking as well, which means that if somebody goes up, somebody else goes down. But in this particular case, every single one of those metrics were going in the right direction. And that's exactly the kind of close scrutiny and engagement that we have. When it's we a difference leadership makes. You know, when, when I got to the VA, Bob Snyder, our chief of staff, is fond of telling the story that I was preparing for my confirmation hearing. And 
And uh, I went through the strategies that were online for the VA, and I said, these are great strategies. Why isn't anyone executing them? And VA was known to, to develop policy in Washington, D.C., but it wouldn't be executed at the local level. So that's why we developed the program Leaders Developing Leaders. Leaders Developing Leaders is a cascading process where Sloan and I and the leadership team train the top 600 leaders across the organization. We ask them to develop improvement projects for their area of responsibility consistent with the breakthrough initiative, consistent with the five strategies. They then go out back to their facilities, they train the next level and so forth all the way down to the bottom of the organization. What we're after is the acid test of a high performance organization. Can you ask the lowest level in person in the, in, in the organization, the most local person, what they're doing that day and how that ties back to the vision of, being, of putting veterans first and of being uh, the number one customer service organization in the federal government. So what we, what we do then is we have these projects for every single employee that tie back to the 12 breakthrough initiatives that tie back to the five strategies that tie back to the vision that tie back to the mission that are consistent with the values. And that's the way a high performance organization operates. All cogs in the machine are operating consistently and all people are working hard against the same uh, objective. As you can see, we've trained a large number of the organization. We track the projects on a national basis. When a project is finished, it gets renewed. We add a new one. Um, and we did that in September when we had our last leadership team meeting. My hope, my desire, my dream is we continue this because really it's the only way you can run a 360, 370,000 person organization and make sure that you've got great veteran outcomes every single day. When I was in Los Angeles last week, I met with the Community Veteran Engagement Board the community veteran engagement boards are about customizing the offerings of VA at a local level. One of the things we know from running large companies is you can't ensure every decision that gets made at headquarters that takes advantage of the scale and the scope of the enterprise as Sloan talks about is really what the veteran needs at a local level. So who does that customization? And how do we make sure we operate as an enterprise at a local level? So we came up with the idea of establishing these community veteran engagement boards. We have 106 now. I hope to have 140 by March. The idea of these boards is community leaders come together, the VA leaders for the cemetery administration, for the benefits administration, for the health administration are all at the table but they're not allowed to lead the organization. They're there as participants. They bring the resources. They enter the discussion. And the community works together to make sure that VA is meeting the veterans' needs in that particular community. If you're watching this right now or you're in the audience right now and you don't know about your community veteran engagement board in your area, please ask your local VA leader because we are establishing these at a breakthrough rate they're, they've proven to be very valuable to customizing the offerings of the VA at a local level, and we'd love to have them across the United States as quickly as possible. You know, one of the themes that you see running through this, I alluded to it earlier, is, is the transition toward operating like an integrated enterprise. 
Uh, that's what LDL is about, uh, and that's what a lot of the, the training is about. The, the, other, the other principle for us to, to keep in mind here has to do with, with delivering consistency in the quality of the veteran experience. Uh, I, I know we know how to deliver a great veteran experience, whether it be in healthcare, we do it hundreds of thousands of times every day, or benefits, or, or for survivors in, in, our, in our cemetery uh, operation. Uh, the challenge we have is we don't always have the rigor in our systems and processes to be able to do that reliably. Training is critical there. So you start thinking about training across the entire enterprise, like LDL is, like the, the cutting-edge skills training, like uh, 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 VA 101 and some of these other training activities. This is, about, this is about creating the foundation for improving the consistency of those outcomes across the entire enterprise. You know, the, um, I also want to put a plug in for the research and development we do. I mentioned that earlier, but um, obviously the Million Veteran Project, where we take blood samples from veterans, we map the genome sequence of each veteran, we connect 20 to 40 years of medical records with that genomic sequence to find causality between genomic aberrations and diseases like cancer. This has been fundamental in bedrock uh, to the president's precision medicine project, as well as the vice president's cancer moonshot. We've got seven pieces of research that should be delivered uh, very soon. They're going to give us a really good idea. I think we're up to about 560,000 plus yes. blood samples um, on our way to a million. These are the kinds of research projects that only VA can do. I mean, who in the private sector would have the scale, the scope, or the money to invest in this kind of thing? Yet it's going to benefit every single American as we find these genetic uh, aberrations. The other thing that it's a great example of is the use of strategic partnerships. We could not do this were it not for the Department of Energy. Uh, Ernie Muniz, the, uh, the the Secretary of Energy and I signed an agreement, a partnership agreement, where we're going to use the computing power of the Department of Energy, which is quite robust uh, given atomic energy, um, in order to help us uh, sequence these genomes. We are so blessed by these strategic partners uh, that have joined us, whether it's the Elks Club, who's donated $4 million to end veteran homelessness uh, and 800,000 volunteers or at Starbucks teaching us about their customer service, or Ritz-Carlton. Um, we have just been so blessed with these strategic partnerships, which are really force multipliers uh, to, what, to what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, I also was pleased when the, when the medical community came together to help us with the new electronic medical record. That was another great example uh, of strategic partnerships. We've got work to do. There's no question about that. I mean, Sloan and I would be the first to uh, tell you tr organizational transformation uh, normally takes five years, ten years to get done. It doesn't happen in three years. It doesn't happen overnight. The journey has started. I think every employee in the VA has recognized uh, the value of this journey, the value of being a values-based organization, the value of putting veterans first. And we want to keep that up. So we want to talk about um, some of the big challenges ahead. So as you look uh, at our priorities for the future, uh, 
a couple of things that I hope you'll see here is, first of all, the, the sort of the continuity that exists between the work that we've done in 2016 and a lot of what you see up there for 2017. Um, it is, uh, we're building on that. Uh, in some instances, we're, we're, we're completing work that we began because there were multi-year projects. Uh, the uh, supply chain was a, is, a, is a good example of that. The, the other thing that, that's a, a recurring theme, and you see it a lot here in improving the employee experience, improving internal support services, continuous improvement. In a lot of those areas, we're building the capability and exercising our capability to operate like an integrated enterprise. And let me give you an example. You don't see the veterans crisis line up there anywhere, but you do see uh, preventing suicide. And, and so you stop and you think about that, suicide prevention. You recall the comments that I made earlier about the complete uh, uh, overhaul of our veterans crisis line. Training, system, staffing, facilities, uh, uh, quality control metrics, uh, technology, everything. Well, what we were really doing there was building a foundation. So the work that we're about now is integrating that into the, the fabric of the larger enterprise. So we're working, for example, right now to ensure as we have more calls coming in, more referrals going to suicide prevention coordinators, making sure that we've got that seam completely closed and that the handoff between the veterans crisis line and the suicide prevention coordinator is, is absolutely impermeable, that no veteran falls through the cracks there. Uh, we've got some new technology where, again, we've leveraged our scope and our scale because we have this electronic health record that's been there for, for so many years. We've used big data to analyze the, the, uh, the, the healthcare records of our veterans uh, and determine which veterans are at the greatest risk for attempting suicide. And so you start thinking about how you leverage a resource like that in your medical facilities, in primary care, in mental health care, how you do it in the veterans crisis line, and potentially how you even do it in VBA because we all know that financial issues oftentimes are a trigger for an attempted suicide. And so for a lot of our veterans that are receiving disability compensation, that becomes another point of connection that we wanna make sure we, we're, we're making. Again, it's all about putting the veteran at the center of this and finding ways op to operationalize those, those connections, those capabilities that we have in order to deliver better outcomes for veterans. We should probably say that these 2017 priorities came out of our leadership team meeting in September. Yes. Knowing that we were approaching the end of the 2015 time period, our breakthrough objectives were already making progress for 2015. We purposely set up the 2017 priorities working as an integrated leadership team. And Coming out of September, we already started to work to determine what are the outcomes we want from those 2017 priorities, how are we going to organize to get them done, and you should know we've already started the every two-week meeting on every one of these priorities, and we're going to continue this sprinting through the finish whenever that finish should be. We don't know when it would be, but we're going to keep doing it because these are the right things to put veterans first. And another thread of continuity here uh, is listed in the right-hand column. Uh, everything you see there in blue is the legislation we need to make this transformation permanent and to put veterans first. 
provider agreement legislation, appeals modernization, Sloan and many of our leaders have led a process with veteran service organizations and others to re-engineer a broken appeals process that's over 80 years old. Um, this, we had worked with Congress to put much of this uh, legislation that we needed in something called the Veterans First Act that passed through our Senate committee unanimously. Every Republican and Democrat voted for it. And in the waning days of the Congress, it never got to the floor. This is legislation we need. And when the Congress came back and I met with the members, they said, well, you're not going to get anything passed until the administ new administration changes so that they can take credit for it. Well, we don't care we don't who care gets credit that. for it. No. We just want it to be done because this is stuff that needs to be done to put veterans first. We had funding for care in the community in two separate pockets. We couldn't move money from one pocket to the other, even though it meant good care for veterans. We need budget flexibility. Those two dozen lease authorizations that are out there have been funded, but have not been authorized. We need those done. Um, enhanced telehealth services is another thing, so we can do more telehealth, and we could go on and on. We've notified the Congress of what we need. We've notified the transition team for the new president of what is needed, and we hope that this legislation can get done as quickly as possible. There's nothing parochial about this legislation, nothing political about it. We need to put veterans first and not political ideology. And I would say one of the opportunities for really everybody here and everybody out there is the opportunity to help sustain this direction. Uh, we've laid as much pipe as we know how to lay here. Uh, this, is, this is, from our perspective, Bob and I both, this is just common sense. This is, what a, this is what a large business would be doing to improve the performance of their enterprise. And so you look at these things, and, and the determination here is to try to sustain this effort. Our, our VSO partners, the My VA Advisory Committee, uh, veterans, uh, everybody. NASDAQ. Yes, NASDAQ. Been a big, great partner. Yes, a, a great Saw partner. Last I mean, year. Les Beavers is here. You know, it's it's uh, the, you know the opportunity there to encourage a new leadership team and a new administration stay the course. You know, if you want to call it something different, you want to take credit for work that happened before. Fine, we don't care. We'll be the first one to cheer you on. <laughs> you bet we will. But this is the right thing for veterans, and it's the right thing for taxpayers. I want to come back to the, the mission, the values, the vision, and the strategies again, just to remind everyone that this is really the, the framework of everything that we've been doing. It's all about putting veterans first. These are enduring principles. They don't change. Uh, what changes is how we work to get them done in order to improve the way we improve the lives of veterans. And that's really what we're about. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the press recently about privatizing the VA. Uh, we both don't think that's a good idea, uh, even though we have supported care in the community. Yes. And the number of appointments in the community have moved from less than 20% to now 32%. But we think getting to this equilibrium of, of care in the community, care in the VA, an integrated system, getting there in a pragmatic and, and, and deliberate way is the right way to do it, rather than suddenly just throwing everything out and giving a voucher to veterans. That's not what veterans tell us they want. And, 
again, if you put veterans first, you give veterans what they want because the veterans have already earned your commitment to them through their service to our country. This is not about political ideology. It's about better serving veterans who have already served our country. You, know, you go back to that thought process about uh, the scope and scale of the organization and what, what organization out there can step in and fill the shoes of VA. Uh, there isn't one. You look at the highly frag fragmented private healthcare environment. You look at our, our veteran population who are older and sicker. Hey, look at the uh, fact we train 70% of the doctors in the exactly country. Right. Who's going to do that? That's exactly right. So, you know, this idea of, of uh, privatizing VA, it's a wrong idea. Uh, but, but care in the community is a vital component of VA's present and future. I think I want to I close with, um, with a, a, a film uh, that is a film that I think animates the work of every VA employee every day. Uh, many of the VA employees, a third, uh, in VBA, I think it's above 60%, maybe 65%, are veterans. Uh, Sloan and I are veterans. Uh, many people have prescriptions for the VA who are not veterans. Uh, and I think when somebody talks to you about privatizing the VA, you have to start with, are you a veteran? If you're not a veteran, have you talked to a veteran? If you haven't talked to a veteran, do you have an interest in a private health care system that could profit from the privatization of the VA? These are the kinds of questions you have to ask. But the question we ask every day is a different question. And it's that question that I think Private Ryan asked himself as he was walking through Omaha, the cemetery above Omaha Beach, at the end of Saving Private Ryan. For those of you who saw Steven Spielberg's great movie, you know the story. Uh, Captain Miller led a team to find and save the life of Private Ryan because his brothers had been killed in combat. And Captain Miller gave up his life. Tom Hanks played Captain Miller. Captain Miller gave up his life to save the life of Private Ryan. And so Private Ryan's walking through this cemetery and he's constantly asking himself, have I earned it? Have I lived a life that would cause others to say I've earned it? He asked his family, have I earned it? And I gotta tell you, since I've been in this job, the job, the, the question I ask Sloan every day, because he's my brother, we've known each other for 44 plus years, is are we doing the right thing for veterans? Have we earned it? Because those are the people that we served with. The people who cared for us, we're now trying to care for them. Let's watch. with you, I, 
I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. Captain Miller led a team that saved the life of Private Ryan. Veterans throughout the history of our country have saved our lives every single day. And all of us at VA are proud to have this most inspiring mission and the greatest clients in the world. Thanks for your attention, and Sloan and I would be happy to take any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you.